Hi everyone, just a quick word before we start. There's a bit of waffle at the end of this episode about current events, shall we say. So a very quick announcement. Obviously Victoria is self-employed and is one of these people that isn't going to be getting much income thanks to the current situation. So please do go on her website and consider buying her book to help her out. She obviously has no idea that I've put this announcement at the start of the episode. So she may tell me off for doing this, but never mind. Enjoy the show! Hey, hello everyone and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman. And me, Neil Phillips. So it, it's been a little bit of a while since we recorded our last one. I think just generally life, work and other bits and bobs have got in, in the way. But we're back and we've got a really interesting subject for you a little bit later on that we've been working on. And I'm pretty sure a few of you probably picked up what it is from our, well, I think not so subtle hints through yeah, social we've dug, media. Yeah, dug deep for puns, haven't we? We have definitely, you know, been mm. borrowing for them. But anyway, more of that a bit later on. So we're going to start with our podcast news and I'll hand over to Neil, who will give you some details about downloads and etc. Yeah, right. our downloads are going well. Thanks to everyone that's been sharing. We're on 3,593 at the time of recording. That's looking wow. pretty good. It's about 500 up from last recording, I think, already. So lots of bored people out there. <laughs> <laughs> And we've, we've uh, you know, our numbers are gradually increasing on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Facebook, we're now up to 297 likes and 307 followers and up to 191 followers on Twitter as well. So big shout out and a big thank you to everyone who's kind of joined us on the journey of our podcast and liked to share us and, and that. So just a, a big thank you all round to everyone for that. Yeah, and Spotify seems to be doing well. I, I believe Spotify is actually separate from our downloads on the stats thing on our, on our host so and that's over 100 subscribers on spotify now it's looking quite healthy spring has sprung it certainly has today oh, it's been a lovely see. day hasn't it it's really nice and warm uh, I, it's officially spring because i've seen my first bee fly which is what i count as spring it's nice and you know you can keep all your frog spawn and chiff chaff which i also saw today but i'm gonna stick with them bee flies which for those who don't know are little they like look a little bit like a bee as you probably guess they're little sort of light brown fuzzy things um, and they've got a big long black rostrum is the word long black tube for a mouth excellent little things that hover around you'll probably see one in the next few weeks if you go outside if we're allowed outside <laughs> <laughs> um, yes and there should be they're in a lot of gardens as well so you should be allowed there but uh, yeah so yeah, I mean, we've, much... we've definitely got them in in the garden here and i actually saw my first bumblebee today and it was a female uh, white-tailed bumblebee um oh, lovely. yeah it's really really lovely to see her so around and you know seen loads and loads of reports of frogs born um toads born i think following on from our our previous episode where we discussed frogs and toads it's been interesting reading people's reports where they've had fro frogs born then there's been nothing and then you know, a week to 10 days later, there's actually more frog spawn. So it does seem to be a little bit sporadic, but I think that probably maybe coincides a little bit with we've had warm wet spells and then it's gone cold and it's gone warm again. Great news is that we finally have frog spawn in our pond uh, yeah. and quite a lot of it, actually. This year, we've got the most frog and toad spawn we have ever had in that pond, which is fantastic news. And today, this morning, when I was sorting out my little pond in the garden, 
I actually have two little frogs. I don't think they're they're big enough to breed yet, but I saw one the other night and then just rooting around and was sitting there and I think he has a little girlfriend and they were both sitting there together, which was uh, very sweet. Um, so great to see him back. Uh, on last Wednesday, uh, those that listened to the last episode remember us encouraging you to join your local amphibian reptile group. Well, I went out on the meeting last Wednesday and we saw over 200 toads in and migrating to a lake in Essex. So that was rather cool. We That's timed a huge it right. number on one night, actually. That is right. It's, like it's the most we've ever had there. We timed it just right. I think the, the, mo- where the position of the moon and the weather was just right. And yeah, lots of paired up toads and uh, the odd calling one as well, which is quite nice. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, reading the reports coming in from toad patrols. It seems to be that the numbers are are up on quite a lot of them this year, actually. Which is amazing. You know, some tow patrols are actually reporting, you know, the highest number that they've ever actually, you know, helped across the road, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, it's nice. Hopefully, it's a good sign, and uh, rather than just some sort of fr- fluke occurrence. It's been quite dry, but I imagine in pre- you know previous winters, and but I imagine the fact that it's wet this spring, and the fact that toads are reasonably drought resistant. You know, they've got that of slightly hardier skin than other amphibians, haven't they? Who they knows? Have, we'll, yeah. Hopefully we'll see some work on that to find out what's going on there. And I think it will certainly be interesting to see the sheer number of reports I've seen come in. And a lot of people saying they've seen more spawn in their ponds in previous years. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in June when we start to see the froglets and toadlets mm. emerging from the ponds. And, you know, don't forget to actually look at the ponds come June. We may all have a lot of time on our hands to do that. So... <laughs> You know, just just go and sit and see how many you have actually coming out because I'm pretty sure that the two uh, little ones I have in my pond they actually emerged from my pond two years ago and and they're back, which is fantastic. But I've not seen the big ones yet. And and as I'm sure everyone else is thinking, not just me, that all these record number of tadpoles and stuff will be great. There'll be record numbers of dragonfly nymphs and diving beetles. It'll be brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what's going through my head now. Exactly <laughs> what's going through my head Insect right now. food. Or not. Yes. But some other great signs of of spring, like we said, it's certainly today has been a lovely day. Certainly oh, feels yeah. like spring. Lots of reports now of of adders out basking, which is great to see people reporting them. Just a couple of things. Please do keep your distance. Let them bask. They need to bask for various reasons. We're going to do a, a snake special mm. further down the road, so we'll, we'll come back to that. But just just let them be. Let them bask, and don't forget to record your sightings as well. Really, really important for our adders. And starting to see a lot of um, images and videos of hares. So I think hair activity is starting to really ramp up now as well. So, And a lot of our spring flowers are coming up. So I think yeah. spring's on its way. Saw some colt's foot today. That was a rather nice little spring yellow flower. And there was a pair of kingfishers, or at least I think there was a pair and at least one interloper chasing each other around on the river today, which was absolutely fantastic to see. You know. I swear I saw a dragonfly the other day. What, a big one? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. could be a vagrant emperor wandering through. Um, That'd be the most likely this time of year. I just, I mean, it was a sunny day, and mm. I just don't think that it could have been anything else, to be honest. And I swear it was a kingfisher. Uh, not a kingfisher, a dragonfly, sorry. I swear. Wow. But there we go. That's kind of, it, it, was, it was a flyby. Yeah, at this time yeah. of year, I still think it's a bit early for a hairy dragonfly. So it's, it probably would have been a vagrant emperor. That's, in, yeah. that's rather excellent. So there we go. Ooh. Right, yeah, should, we, should we move on to a, a bit of news? Some stories yes. now, obviously, 
we've been trawling the news, uh, trying to find some wildlife news to share. Um, I think probably quite rightly so at the moment, the news is, is very much full of the, the COVID-19. Um, so we've not found that many news stories, but, you know, we've got we've got one to share with you, which we we've known yeah. about, but we didn't share last time. So we're going to share with it tonight. And that is the news that came out. I think it came out a while ago now, didn't it, Neil, about about this? Yeah, certainly government... last week at least. Yeah, I mean, it is probably about a week old, um, I would say. The government's looking to phase out badger calls and replace it with vaccines instead. Yeah. Now, one of the issues, I mean, badger call is that one we've got to cover, it's a whole episode in itself. One of the issues with bovine tuberculosis, remember, it's BTB is bovine tuberculosis, not badger tuberculosis, as some people seem to think it is. They can't vaccinate the cattle. Well, they can vaccinate the cattle. Well, they one reason they don't vaccinate it is because we don't have a test that allows us to see if they have tuberculosis, if they're a carrier, if the cattle's been vaccinated. So if the cattle's been vaccinated, it gives a positive reading uh, whether they've got bovine tuberculosis or not. Now they've developed a test that can detect bovine tuberculosis in cattle that have been vaccinated. And so that's quite a, a nice breakthrough and everyone's celebrating, saying how wonderful it is. And, you know, you can see on the outset all the headlines where, you know, coal to be phased out. And the government has promised to phase the coal out, which is good news, until you dig down into it. And from what they're saying, the government might still expand the coal. They might continue with it for five, ten years, they've been saying. Yeah, it's it's not quite celebration time, put it that way. Still loads more badgers are going to be cold. And, uh, yeah. But it's, I think I think maybe it, it's a baby step in the right direction. Oh, yeah, definitely I in think, the right direction. Can, but it's, yeah. You know, call it but, a baby step in the right direction. But I think there's going to be a lot more development with the story, you know, as you yeah. suggest. But there was, yeah, there was lots of prominent figures, shall we say, seeming popping the champagne corks as if we've won, but uh, well, a million miles from that, in my view. But after the pathetic sentences given out to those people that shot the Sparrowhawks last episode, there's the story of a fisheries owner that decided to take matters in his own hands, set loads of traps for otters, which is illegal in itself, and then went and got his rifle and shot it in the head in front of a load of witnesses. And obviously he got caught. Basically, he got a jail sentence for two months for shooting the otter. At least that's sending the right message. If you start killing otters, you're going to go to jail. Just a ridiculous situation. They spend tens of thousands of pounds buying fish and then don't bother spending any money protecting it with a fence. But there we go. It's worth remembering as well that carp are non-native species and actually do harm to native habitats as well. You know, they rip up vegetation and destroy their cover, which then leaves themselves and other fish more vulnerable to predation and I've, I've been to a talk where they talk about Williams, arguably Britain's expert on non-native fish and he was asked what the most invasive fish was and he said goldfish and carp very interesting stuff but yes a little bit depressing but what one bit of positive news on fish topic is they are looking to introduce burbot which is a freshwater relative of the cod and when extinct it, one reason was the lack of clean rivers and suitable habitat. And okay, our rivers, as I've probably mentioned before, are not as clean as sometimes they're made out to be. But we've got some lakes and stuff that might be suitable. Oxbow Lakes in Norfolk, I think they're looking at. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. They're, they're, they're seeing if it's a viable thing or not. That'll be interesting to see how that story develops. Then should we move on to our main topic for the episode? Yes. Well, before we delve into into our main topic, which I think Neil would agree with me on this one. It's probably a little bit out of both of our comfort zones. Mm. Um, it, it's something 
very new to us and we've actually have done a fair bit of research which has been great actually I've really enjoyed kind of finding out more about this particular species just before we go on to it though just a big shout out to Daisy Cogley for suggesting it and also Ian Squire for kind of seconding it as well so our main topic for this episode is actually the mole uh, which I think a lot of people probably don't really know that much about. And it, it's not something that's seen very often. They spend the majority of their life, if not all their lives, underground. Um, all we see is the molehills. So we have compiled together some basic facts about them, some interesting facts. We've also looked at conservation flooding. It was, it was actually something that Daisy mentioned about, like the, the bad weather and flooding how they can actually be of benefit to us as well and a little bit of kind of historical stuff as well so i think probably best place to start is a little bit about them first of all have you ever seen a live mole vic i don't think i have no i've seen a molehill move that's the closest i've got and a dead one obviously now for a lot of the information i've used the legendary tome that is the mammals of the British Isles handbook and I've got the fourth edition which I think is the, the latest one. Moles are quite fascinating creatures. They've evolved from the well, originally they were stuck in the in- insectivores group of mammals but that's been split up into various groups now um, so it, it, formerly they were sort of class- classified as related to shrews and hedgehogs and all that kind of thing. Moles obviously a specialised underground living animal. They've got massive great front legs if you ever see a, a skeleton i'll see if i can put one of the blog post the skeleton of their front legs is quite extraordinary really which are specialized for digging they're also quite useful for swimming if they need to swim these big front legs huge great claws on the front obviously for digging through their tunnel homes and their lifestyle is basically digging around and patrolling these tunnels as they dig they look for grubs and earthworms which is their main prey make up to 100% of their diet in some areas digging around and they'll pick up any food that drops into their tunnels so they keep patrolling these tunnels picking up any food they find they're territorial so they tend to just stick in their territory and won't let other moles into their territory obviously breeding season is a little bit more tolerance they don't tend to fight very much the moles one will smell the other one and the less dominant one will back off and obviously they have that lovely velvety mole skin fur which has been used by humans for various things uh, they have been used as, as book covers and actually at the beginning of the turn of the century they were trapped predominantly for their pelts for also clothing as well. I mean they're, they're really quite interesting. I mean they're, they're actually they'll be into their breeding season now. Their breeding season generally runs February to June. They're about three to four young on average. Average lifespan is about two to three years. So there's only a very small percentage of them actually survive to adulthood. Once an adult is got its own territory it tends to be fairly safe from predation which causes about half the deaths in moles. Only 1% reach six years, so that's sort of the maximum age. The major cause of mortality are starvation. So when if you think if you're a young mole dispersing, you have to get away from your adults, but, but you might not find a territory to live in. And of course, while you're looking for a new territory, you can get eaten by tawny owls, buzzards, stoats. Obviously, cats take their fair or more than fair share, I suppose, along with dogs and tawny owls. Apparently in summer, June, July, they, they can make up quite a bit of the tawny owl's diet. So it's yeah, probably worth saying at this point is, is when, the, yeah. when the young disperse, they actually tend to disperse above ground. Yeah, they've got a 68% mortality in their first year. I suppose it's not that uncommon in small mammals, is it? But they, I mean, they are, are fascinating little creatures. I'd love to see one, actually, one day. Yeah, me too. I have I have a friend once who, who actually had to video the mole because people wouldn't believe it was alive. In fact, most of the mole pictures you see are dead moles that have been posed. I could believe that, to be honest. Yeah, I was told that many years ago when I started photography. Mm. So in terms of sizes, 
the males are slightly bigger on average. On average, they're 143 millimetres long, with females only 135. That's not including the towel. And the males can weigh just over 100 grams, and the females will be sort of 80 grams, 85 grams generally. A little bit of a size difference there. And they aren't completely blind, although a lot of people say they are. It's not as good as our eyesight, obviously, because they live underground. They don't need them so much. And you'd think they'd have really good hearing, but their hearing is sort of a standard level for mammals. They haven't got any extra sensitivity or extra range in their hearing. But their sense of smell is their main sense. So they communicate with each other by scent, and they sniff out their prey by touch and by smell. In fact, their relative in North America, the star-nosed mole, has what basically ends up being fingers on its nose that it fills with when it's hunting, which is a, a rather extraordinary looking beast. But there's a, I know Daisy kind of posed a few questions to us. If we start with the conservation status of moles, mm-hmm. and actually, unfortunately, generally speaking, there's, there's no conservation protection here for them in the UK. That said, they do have very basic protection under the Wild Mammals Protection Act of 1996. And when they've been caught or trapped, which does still go on, they do actually have protection under the Animal Welfare Act of 2006. But that's pretty much the only protection that they have in the UK. You know, so so they're not actually that that well protected. And and interestingly, actually, I think, you know, from doing this, they're not actually that well studied either. There's not that many people doing research or studying now the only figure i've found again in the handbook british mammals is they believe there are 31 million in england reading round about population there's it won't surprise many people that the nfu are moaning that there are too many moles and we'll talk about their inverted commas pest status a bit later i think you know mm. as, as a as an animal they they are really important mm. and they can be hugely beneficial and i think maybe sometimes obviously the only part that we really see of it and Pretty much, I, I guess everyone's seen them at the molehills. That's the result of them digging out their tunnels, and that's the bit that we see. But, you know, as part of that, they can actually, they do prey on a lot of harmful invertebrate larvae that are underground that can actually be very damaging to our crops and other things. But not only that, by the amount of soil that they actually churn out and dig in their, their tunnels and making their tunnels and their networks, they actually help to aerate heavy soils, which really helps just with the health of the soil overall. Mm. Yeah, so and, it's, and yeah, they're kind of like big earthworms, aren't they, in many ways? They help mix the soil as well. Yeah, they do. And and it was really interesting. So I was looking up lots of different, you know, trying to find some, some quirky little things about them. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone has the problem of molehills in their garden. I know that certainly around here we don't because we're on a limestone base. So mm-hmm. unless the moles have actually got a little JCBs or jackhammers, then we don't generally get moles around here because you go down about two foot and it's solid limestone if you do live in an area and you do get mole moles in your garden or, or mole hills you can actually help the moles by leaving them to dig in our gardens and once they create those mole hills you can actually then mix that soil from the hills with potting compost and use it to pot up plants in your garden it's not going to damage the moles in any way shape or form but you can actually use some of that soil to then mix with potting compost in your garden and just leave them to dig around so it's mm. Yeah, we, we can certainly help them in our garden. Looking into the issues with moles, for, so obviously there's the inconvenience of them making your lawn look a bit messy, which personally I don't find, you know, took a bit of a while to see mixing or, or dig away the molehill like you said. Golf courses don't like them because they dig up and ruin the green and stuff, they say, obviously, but though they probably won't be digging through the green so much because a lot of people don't realise that the greens on golf courses, although golf courses are generally good for wildlife, the greens on golf courses, they actually use wormicide on 
because they don't want the worms leaving casts on it. So the moles won't have much interest going through, though, the actual green itself. What the biggest problem they find, I think, is mainly the molehills themselves. If you're, if you're cutting grass, it can damage the equipment. If you And when you're cutting the grass for silage, you get soil in it, which can, again, cause issues. Although when they've interviewed farmers, it's like 10% of the silage is damaged in worst case scenarios. So it's not that bad. And it can cause issues for sheep and animals, you know, hurting their breaking their legs and stuff falling down the holes and obviously if they're digging under the ground they're going to move roots and uproot plants and stuff but again it's only going to be a small percentage of the field but i imagine you know if you've got narrow margins or trying to maximize profits they're going to be in the way and until i believe it was 2006 they used to use strychnine hydrochloride which is a horrendously nasty poison to kill them it basically attacks their nerves and they'd end up basically having spasms and then basically suffocating when their breathing muscles stop so it's a horrible way to go and there's all sorts of problems with other mammals and stuff coming into contact with it and killing them as well so it got banned in 2006 by the eu whether or not it'll still be banned when we come out of the eu i don't know hopefully it'll stay banned because it's not a particularly nice poison and our old friends the nfu were again against the ban and then moaning that they couldn't use it to control moles after the bands it's Um, it's not a very nice poison at all and hopefully that one will stay resigned to the history books there are humane options you can get humane mole traps we can catch them and move them to somewhere a bit more suitable in terms of their population densities it will be rather unsurprising to know that you get the highest density of moles where you get the highest density of earthworms from to eat one study they were trying to find out if mole density related to soil type which it does indirectly because obviously earthworm numbers are limited by what the soil type is so it indirectly they are influenced by that the moles themselves are found across western and central europe they're not found in the mediterranean because it's far too dry and obviously not towards the arctic circle because it's far too cold and you can't really find earthworms in frozen soil so, yeah. <laughs> and not unless they've got UK, little hard hats and yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're frame wormsicles Worm ice cream? I don't know. What would it mean? In the UK, they're found across mainland Britain. Some of the Outer Hebrides and all of Ireland they're not found in. And in the highlands, where it gets too high and too cold, they're either at low density or absent. Woodlands are highest density, followed by grassland and followed by moorland, which is obviously less productive for Mm. a lot of animals as well. Yeah, they're great little animals. They are fascinating. I mean, yeah, I think just before we move on, because I know one of Daisy's other questions was about extreme weather or bad weather. And we've got examples of both extremes from a heat wave and also from flooding. But just before we do, I mean, we've mentioned about the trapping, the humane traps that you can buy. You know, part of the question as well was, are pest control services monitored? I couldn't really find any information directly on that. But that said, now, obviously, no, the strychnine is actually being banned now. We're not allowed to use that anymore. The poison they tend to use now is aluminium phosphide. And that can only be used by trained and licensed operators. So it must be legally approved poison or it is a legally approved poison, but it can only be used by trained and licensed operators. So I would imagine that there is to a point some kind of regulation on those people that that use that certainly using the poison. I mean, I don't know those people that are using the humane traps or the, the mold deterrent, the ultrasonic mold deterrent, which I've heard don't work. I, I guess they're not so carefully regulated. I mean, they are subject to animal cruelty laws and stuff, but as of anything, if it's not enforced, is it really there mm. effectively? And I think as well, it's hard to enforce it because some of these things you could probably, the humane traps and the, I think the, the ultrasonic mole deterrents yeah. that you buy, probably similar to the ones you can buy for cats, which also don't work. You know, you can actually go online and buy these things yourself. You, you can't mm. really, I don't think there's much regulation from that point of view. This year, we've seen a lot of flooding. And again, there don't seem to have been that many studies on 
how they respond. Obviously, the nature of their lifestyle and the fact they spend the majority of their life underground, flooding is a major problem for them. It's interesting, they do seem to have evolved an instinct to head for higher ground if their tunnel network starts to become flooded. I I don't know how how that necessarily works when you get you know, a flash flood event, because I don't think they get much warning about that. You know, mass migrations of moles up to higher ground has been recorded in flooding events. One of the other things they can actually do is, so when they form their networks and their chambers and their tunnels in areas that may be more prone to flooding, they may actually form very large molehills. Now we're talking about a molehill that can be up to a metre in height. Oof. So that is a big molehill. And it's known as a fortress. And uh, so it's in areas that are more prone to flooding and it contains a nest chamber and several radial tunnels. So they can actually kind of lift themselves up off the main ground. A meter is that, that's a huge molehill and they can actually to a point survive in there. What effect something like the extreme flooding we've had this winter would have on them? I think we'd, we won't really know. I mean, obviously, as well as potential of flooding. Uh, you know flooding out the chambers and drowning because they are a mammal they need to breathe air there's also the food sources so you know what happens when the food sources get drowned as well or you know and the food isn't there for them so there's a risk of starvation so i think it's quite a complicated one the flooding on kind of heat waves now we're talking kind of extreme heat waves and this is actually this was from back in 2018 i think if you remember then that was the year that we had some parts of the country had eight weeks of high 20s 30 degree plus weather it was hot it was dry and you know there were a lot of concerns about a lot of our native wildlife actually that year it did kill a lot of hedgehogs frogs invertebrate species as well but one thing that i think wasn't really publicized was the fact that they think potentially thousands of moles may have starved to death as a result of the soaring temperatures and this is simply because they were unable to catch their normal prey because some of those those invertebrates and whatever, they went much, much deeper and underground where the moles, you know, wouldn't necessarily have gone in search of them. And it meant that a lot of them were, were forced to come above ground and they would have then been more susceptible to predators who would have also been hungry, you know, and if they had young to feed as well, the increase there. And they may have actually just, a lot may have just starved with not being able to find enough prey. So I think it's, it's tough to really get a handle on you know, how moles are doing and how they really react to the the extremes, be it flooding or, or heat waves, simply because we don't see them. We, we just see the molehills. Whereas they can, I think, if, if it's not too prolonged heat wave, probably ride out in deeper tunnels, which will be a bit cooler. But I think when you get to eight weeks of 30 degrees and ground that is absolutely baked and, and cracking, I think there's a point that they probably can't go much further. So, yeah, it, it's kind of both extremes there but it's i think it just shows that it you know they're even even you know there's little mammals and stuff like that that we probably don't even really think about that often are really susceptible to those massive changes and if i guess if we start to see those changes we have these really wet seriously wet flooded winters followed mm. by really hot dry summers will we start to see something like the mole will we st- see those populations starting to decrease so i hope that kind of answers all your questions daisy <laughs> but it's it, it's a bit of an unknown one i mean i don't certainly for me i've really enjoyed being able to research about something i don't really know very much about i mean i i studied a lot, did a lot of amphibian and reptile and invertebrate and actually marine life to a point through my studies and then did some mammal stuff but mainly bigger mammals 
the mole wasn't really something I knew that much about. So I've really enjoyed kind of researching it and finding out more about it. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, this Handbook of British Mammals is an absolutely fantastic compilation of basically it's everything we knew when they wrote the book about each species of mammal in the UK. And it's one of those books that you, you can't just open up and read. You need to sort of have a reason to look in. So any excuse to delve through this book is always a treat and fantastic stuff. So I'm sure if we cover another, another mammalian topic, I'll be diving into it again. But it's like an, like an absolute must for your British Wildlife Reference Library. I'm not a commission. I think that kind of wraps up the moulds for now. We may revisit them at a later date. I actually have some shout-outs. And the shout-out I've got is, funny enough, Daisy again, but also Simon too. So Daisy, who asked the original mole question, and she asked for a shout-out for her and Simon. They're both rangers, I believe, and listen to the podcast on the way to work. So, uh, hello. Hi. <laughs> Hope um, you enjoy our mole podcast. Yeah. And, and I think we did uh, actually, we had one other question as well. Or no, we had we? one other suggestion. And yeah. that was from Jack Adam King on our Facebook page. He um, actually, did actually suggest the wonderful world of fungi. We will cover that, Jack. Do not worry. Oh, it yeah. will be covered well, at some point. We may save it for autumn, <laughs> but we're definitely going to dive into yeah. fungi at some point. They're amazing. And not just to photograph. I've mentioned that people have been reviewing this on Apple, but I wanted to mention them by name. So, But obviously it's your username, so apologies. But there's Fiona D345. Alan Jet, oh, I think we know who that is on Twitter. Staffy Boy, one two three four five. Hugo Pickaxe, these are great names. They've all given us. I think they're all five star reviews on Apple Podcast. So thank you so much for that, guys. Wow, that's brilliant. And should you, you wish to do the same, please do. It always helps us out. Well, I guess I'll make a little announcement. Obviously, why do we have this rather not very good situation? I think it's a my way of putting it, a very British way of putting it. Me and Vic have had a little chat about what we're going to do if here in the uk we do get end up getting locked down i obviously have a family to look after but we're going to try and up our output a little bit if we can to give you guys something to listen to so hopefully that'd be a good sign good <laughs> thing if not not make it worse for everybody but um yes but that's our aim I, I, we can't promise anything because we don't know what's going to happen and everything no and, and i said you know neil's got a young family i've got some personal commitments coming up this week I might spend and i some time write my pond book finally I keep saying, maybe you should do that Neil. oh maybe god there's should... always an excuse not to do it but the laptop the other night but i didn't actually write anything well hopefully you know it's like we said i think it's a it, we are very much in an unknown situation for 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 everyone right now and i you know Neil and i've obviously been chatting a lot about this um yeah we've Certainly from, you know, my point of view, a lot of events that I had in the next few months are actually cancelled now. Um, unfortunately, um, or postponed. It's been great to talk to some clubs and rather than cancel something, we're postponing it and looking at holding it later in the year, which is, is great. But it means, you know, a lot of stuff is going to struggle. A lot of people are going to struggle. So we thought, you know, that maybe we could help out a little bit and, you know, it would maybe give us a chance to, to maybe do a few more podcasts. So, Please, if you have anything that you want us to cover, you have a particular subject or species uh, you'd like to, to research and cover, like Daisy and the moles um, in this episode, just drop us a message or you know, get in touch via uh, Twitter. We're at UK Wildlife Podcast. And, you know, please use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast as it makes it a bit easier. Also on Facebook as well. Just pop it on there. You know, if you've got something you want us to cover, again, UK Wildlife Podcast. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And I think it's going to be potentially going to be a very kind of tricky time, um, especially if we all end up working from home. I mean, I work from home anyway, so it's not really anything new for me. But, 
it, I know that it can be really, really tough for people if you're not used to working from home and you're not having to work from home. It can be really hard. It, it's a big adjustment to make. So hopefully Neil and I can help you make that adjustment by covering some wildlife topics for you. Yeah. It gives me an excuse to get away from my family. <laughs> no, don't say that, Neil. <laughs> it's all right. I don't listen to podcasts anyway. <laughs> or we're about to find out that they do secretly. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah, if Neil's here, not here uh, next week, then you know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Won't be the virus that's got me. It'll be my family. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, in all honesty, I, I think it is, it is very worrying times. It's very serious times as well. So um, we'll just actually say at this point, please, uh, Neil and I are both scientists. As much as probably people know us more for our photography, we're actually scientists. And I think, Neil, you probably agree with me when I say this. Please listen to the science. The um, there's a lot of... Yeah, and the experts. There's a lot Not of Piers um, Morgan and idiots. Well, <laughs> mind you, unless they're agreeing with the scientists, then maybe. But no, just yeah. listen to the scientists. Yeah, listen to scientists. Listen to to the facts, and don't you know? Don't have social media on 24 hours a day. Don't have the news on 24 hours a day. Don't do what I've been doing. You know, <laughs> pick pick at it. You know, get those updates as and when you need them. But yeah. it can be a trying time. So you know, it's really important to kind of look after yourselves, take care of yourselves as well, and and. Do just listen to the facts and the scientists. There's a lot of, well, let's just say some very interesting stuff that seems to be doing the rounds on yes. social media. And as somebody that actually has a particular interest in zoonotic diseases anyway, I can say that, yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff you really need to not listen to. Spring is out there. You can still look it out your window. Even you if can still go inside. out in your gardens. You know, even yeah. if you are having to self-isolate or if, you know, yeah. you're one of those vulnerable fact, categories do, and you don't. Yeah, just get on, open the windows as well. And I'm actually going to be sharing through my Twitter because I've worked from home for so many years now. Mm. I'm actually going to be sharing a few little tips that might help you when you're working from home. And I actually put one up today. And something as simple as having a house plant or a couple of house plants in your office can really help lift the mood. Particular species of them are actually very good for purifying the air in your home as well. So, you know, there are lots of things that we can do. And if you've got a garden, get out in it, you know, get out, enjoy it. Maybe now is the time to redesign your garden and make it more wildlife friendly. I know that's what we're going to be doing. So, you know, there's 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 things to keep going. Also, they've got the cool Marvel 90s um, cartoons coming out on Disney Plus, which launches next week. Woo! But, that's um, Neil sorted then. I'll yeah, be redesigning my, uh, well, yeah. after I get through this week, I'll re be redesigning my garden. <laughs> I've introduced my four-year-old to the wonders of the 90s spider-man series it's gonna be great but also um, nature and stuff which is what people are here for <laughs> and and fresh air you know i think yeah, yeah. you'll get her out frogs and i'll bugs, um, everything you know. i mean i can't say exactly what's gonna happen i'm like i'm in a fairly fortunate situation that i work in an office on my own in a private nature reserve so depending on what the restrictions say i may still be able to share some sort of nature outdooriness with everybody so I'll, I'll be trying to make a mission to do that if i can so yes watch this and space i guess it would actually be really great to to hear from our listeners as well like what you're doing that's yeah. nature related during um, this time as well to... i'm gonna um, oh, do you know what maybe we'll do we'll mention at least mention there's a couple of if you look on my twitter feed there's a how to find water bears or tardigrades or is it moss piglets they're calling them as well these fantastic <laughs> little creatures using a microscope and moss and I'm also going to, I keep meaning to do it, and maybe I'll finally get around to doing it, how to find Hydra, which is quite a fun little thing to do. Especially yeah. if, I mean, I say it's fun to do with kids. It's fun to do as an adult. You know, yeah. it's, don't let all the kids all the fun, but that's another plan I've got to do. So maybe we'll uh, 
do like a mini podcast on Hydra or something if I do that. So lots of ideas if you fancy. Yeah, and them, I think you know yeah. both Neil and I will be sharing different mm. tips and tricks and that that to basically just help you through. And if you've got any, please do you know share them on our our pages as well um, because we would love to hear from you. And I think you know the best thing that we can do is really help each other out right now. And you yeah. know I think it will be great for nature actually. I think potentially could be a good time for nature. Yeah, give us a message first. But one idea we have looked at is perhaps, you know, getting audience to record a little clip of what they've seen. And if you've got a half-decent microphone, do a little recording of what you've seen or what ideas of things people can do and stuff and send it in. But just give us a message first and we'll walk you through yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely share it as well. So if you've got yeah, any... Put it in the podcast, certainly, if yeah. you can and stuff. So, yeah. And if you're, okay. you're doing stuff in your garden, let us know as well. Yeah. Share, share, share. Right, I think that's it. We, we, we've we've waffled a lot at the end there, but all good waffle, hopefully. So uh, yeah, I guess it's goodbye for now from us. Yeah, well, take care, uh, everyone. Look after yourselves, and yeah, you know, we've well, mentioned uh, where to find us on Twitter and stuff. So uh, any previous episodes, so we'll skip that this time because <laughs> we've waffled yep. too much already. <laughs> okay, guys, see you next time. All right, take care. Bye.